Welcome to the latest edition of the Quarcast. It's episode 18. I'm Owen Newkirk. He's Sean Shapiro. This morning, I say morning, even though people listen to this at whatever time it suits their schedule, but it suits our schedule today because it is Saturday, August 1st, and means the first day of actual counting in the standings or in the statistical categories NHL playoff games. And Sean decided it's too nice of a day to do it inside, so he went out back. I'm outside. I'm also attending to. I'm, I'm smoking a chicken while we're uh, <laughs> while we're doing this. You're, you're chicken went off. Quite the Texan if you're uh, trying to multitask while smoking meat. 7 a.m. this morning. Um, so around 11, we'll uh, we'll check the temperatures of, of on the inside of the meat and see uh, where we're. Uh, Roughly how much time we have then, and then we have a, uh, I have a decision to make on which, uh, which of the barbecue sauces I'm going to use to, to baste it with at the end of the day. So, we've got... Uh, on a normal life situation, we might be doing a Quarkast together, and have, I have, would have accepted an invitation to sample this smoked chicken. Unfortunately, we're still not at that point. Mm-hmm. Oh, well. Correct. But uh, the great thing about smoking a chicken... Is like it's one of those. It's a full chicken. You can get for like, I think I got a five and a half pound chicken for like five for five bucks. I think five five six dollars, and it gets uh, more than enough to feed my whole family and gives you some leftovers. And it's uh, and the other great thing about it too, and knock on wood, but this is the as you're experimenting with smoked meats and before you get into the. Uh, before you get into the more expensive smoked meats, it's like it's always good to kind of. Uh, I've learned it's good to test your your fire skills and smoke skills on a five dollar chicken as opposed to going out and buying a large brisket and everything. Which is that that's the that's the next step, but we're working our way towards that. I was gonna say, that really seems like you're teeing yourself up to go to brisket land next. We are. We 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 haven't gotten to brisket yet. We've done we've done chicken. We've done ribs. Chicken and ribs have both come out really well. Um, but those are both about five-hour smokes, as opposed to the the the, the brisket. Uh, we're, we're trying to get the figure out the the smoke and fire first, so I can fit in the time to be able to be like, okay, we can get a little bit of sleep while this is going and stuff like that. <laughs> if I had said to you, even last week, without looking at the upcoming forecast, that you were going to be outdoors on August first in Texas and not covered in sweat doing a quarkast. Would you believe me? No, I wouldn't have. No. We no. Had a nice little uh, cool down here yeah. yesterday. Let's see. It was like Thursday night into Friday morning. And yeah. so because of that, it's not oppressively hot outside. It's still warm, but not anywhere near what you would expect for Texas in August. And no, not at all. So that's nice. It's a little change of pace. And speaking of which, in a bad segue, the <laughs> Dallas Stars played their first hockey game since March this past Thursday, so two days ago. And it was their exhibition, the only exhibition game of their run to get ready for this tournament. And yet it really wasn't. We'll get into that more in a minute. But they played the Nashville Predators on Thursday afternoon. And Sean, there were some things, to, we'll get through all of it, but on a sweeping moment of summary, 
I don't think it was a very good day for the Dallas Stars. In fact, there were a lot of things that were negative about it. Mm -hmm. the, the, the positive, if we must bring that in, is it was an exhibition game. It didn't count. And they don't have to play a do-or-die qualifying round series starting today or tomorrow. So they have time to work on some clear signs that they're not quite there yet as far as sharpness and some other things. Yeah, it was, I mean, the positive is that this was an exhibition game that doesn't mean anything. Um, there were definitely, I mean, it's an exhibition game where you came out of, I, you came away with concerns. I came away with concerns out of it um, because we had talked so much in training camp. We'd seen in training camp of, hey, we're going to get better offensively. We're going to do this. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna create more. We're going to get more chances. Um, and just to be frank, they looked a lot like the team that skidded into the pause. And that's, that's what they looked like. And I know... Um, you want to be an optimistic, and, and, and you, I, I still think they can work things out, and I still think there's, there's time to work things out to get, to get ready for round one of the playoffs. But to me, the Dallas Stars looking like this is more concerning than what happened with the St. Louis Blues exhibition, where the St. Louis Blues exhibition looked like a team in preseason mode but didn't really – but that just needed to kind of – Get, get kicked in the pants to get going. The Stars looked like the team before the pause, and that to me is more concerning. And the other concern obviously coming out of this, and I guess let's just talk about it right away because we don't have any more information, yeah. but just it's worth discussing is the injury factor too, where this team had been healthy all of training camp. They'd avoided everything. Most importantly, uh, there had been zero positive COVID tests. And first game... Tyler Sagan is unfit to play. We and don't we know what. Find a... this out, Sean, until about 30 minutes before yeah. the uh, the game is start. In fact, you wouldn't even have known this uh, prior to that because he had been participating in all of the practices, and of course, the stars knew that there was some questions to him, but they didn't didn't say anything. And of course, this is a new normal that we have to get used to, at least for this tournament. I don't know if this will be the normal situation with injury reporting after the bubble is over. But I do believe that throughout this point, we're just not going to get anything as far as injuries. And you could see it in head coach Rick Bonus's eyes when the questions were asked in the post-game Zoom call that we had on Thursday. Was There was sort of this, I can't talk about that, even before <laughs> this question was finished being, uh, being asked. Yeah, and it, it's, it's one of those things, too, with, like... We're going to talk to him again today at 4 Central, I believe, is the time. So probably after, people will probably have heard the podcast at this point. But even at that point, we're probably not going to get anything. We'll ask, and we, we won't get anything. Um, the Stars did say before the game in the email that they sent us all was, hey, he should still play in the round robin. That being said, Rick Bonus, when asked after the game, was if this was a playoff game, would he have played? And he said that would have been a tough decision. And that tells me... This is one of two categories of things. I'm not going to speculate on what the injury is because that's not fair. That's not we, we know nothing. We haven't been able to watch practice. Is it fair to speculate, to, as I did, at least in my own head, that because the Stars added that sort of uh, explanation language saying if this were the return to play or he's expected to return to that, that it's not COVID-19 related? 
I can, here's what I can say. I can say with 100% certainty that it's not COVID related, right. and here's why. Tyler Stegen posted on Instagram yesterday from Tom Holy's birthday party with a cake. If Tyler Sagan has COVID, he is not at Tom Holy's birthday party in the hotel restaurant where there's cake. Okay, so so there's there's no, and that also tells me, you know what, Tyler Sagan's probably not sick. This probably wasn't as much a stomach bug or something else because they're going to be super cautious. Like right now, players can't leave their room. Like So right now, the players all have an app on their phones. And when they leave their rooms, they have to fill out a symptom check mark there is a red flag symptom like a high temperature or uh, anything that might be cold or, or, or look COVID related, the starters training staff gets alerted right away. And that player then has to, so this is, I don't think this is illness related. I don't think it's anything like that. Um, anything like that. We, we don't see Tyler. And this is just funny doing detective work based off an Instagram story, but it's also the type of thing where if there was anything even close to illness related, I don't think there would have even been an option for him to take the, the, the pregame skate, which that was the original plan. We found out Ty DeLandria was told the night before, hey, you're going to take warm-ups just in case Tyler can't play. That, to me, tells me this is a more physical ailment. And I think if you're the stars, you need to be careful with this. Not knowing what it is at all, I think if there's any chance... I think you need to treat Monday's game against Vegas. If there's any any reason you think that it's 50-50, I don't think to play. I think the stars, we learned, and now this was a better version of Tyler 2016, but we learned what playoff life is like without Tyler Sagan for the stars of 2016. That's one thing a lot of people forget from the outside. They think 2016 and they think the Game 7 goaltending, but what happens if Tyler Sagan's in that series? What happen, Or do the stars get past the Blues? We don't know. And so I look at the Tyler Sagan injury or ailment, whatever it is, if there's any chance Tyler should in play in that game on Monday, he shouldn't play. Because to me, the biggest thing is getting the best version of Tyler Sagan, the most healthy version of Tyler Sagan for game one on August 12th, 13th, 11th, whatever day that is. Um, that's the concern for me coming out of this. And Tyler Sagan's also someone who I don't think needs, seating is important. You want to get it up there but it's also not worth sacrificing the best version of one of your best players if if you can get that and he can you can give him a couple more days to then start against Colorado on the 5th or even wait a couple more days till the last round robin game. Now, forgive me for a rather poor pun here, but a key cog to the start <laughs> is Andrew Cogliano. Yes. He was the other injury that happened actually during the game as opposed to prior to the start of it with Sagan and Cogliano is one, Sean, who makes up a third of that really effective FCC line. Yeah. He went down during the game and left and didn't return. It was in the first period. And that's concerning to me because he's the Iron Man. I know that his streak broke a couple years ago back in Anaheim because of, a, I think, a, kind of a bogus suspension. But he doesn't miss a lot of time in his career to injury. He's yeah. been able to be healthy and play. Maybe that gives him a little bit more of a, a leg up. Again, another pun, pardon that. Um, but the fact that he left quickly. Now, again, it's exhibition, so don't, don't ruin it. Hopefully it's not as bad. But, look, it looked like he was really favoring his left leg. I don't know if it was leg or knee-related. Again, it's hard, too difficult to speculate. But you could see him not putting a lot of weight on it at all. That's concerning, especially because... He plays a game that requires his skating to be up at his peak. Fast, quick, in your face. 
uh, and and physical. And so you can't have a guy play to his best like that if he doesn't have his you know, 100% or not even Yeah, I mean, he has the... The other thing about him, too, just that if you want to look, just take an optimistic spin on it, too, uh, it was an exhibition game where they had 13 forwards. So it's one where he could have gone to the locker room and they could have said, just, just, Let's we don't need you to, right? Let's we don't need you. Yeah, and so that's a possibility. But the other thing, too, is there is the, he didn't return. We know he tends to, he, he has had a durability factor throughout his career. Um, I got like for example, I mean, if you're in Nashville, I, I had wondered if Nashville would take Arvidsson out of the game in that after the the knee on knee collision, just thinking, hey, it's only an exhibition game. But then again, Nashville has a real playoff game uh, tomorrow. I, I think they play Sunday. I think that's their I first Sunday, yeah, yes. against Arizona. Uh, so Andrew Cogliano, his status for Monday will be interesting to see, and that brings up just an interesting kind of ploy just to kind of play into this, and we're not even really talking about the game, but this is just kind of flowing, I guess. Uh, who comes in if you have... Who kind of comes into the lineup if these guys aren't available or absent? And um, if both of them are out, it's probably the same 12 forwards we saw after Cogliano left, where I think, I think both so. Dowling it, where both Dowling and Delandry are in. If Sagan's out, and if, if just Sagan's out or just Cogliano's out, who do you think comes in, based off what you saw in that game? Well, uh, my first thought, Sean, is that the first man up is on, uh, on the two sides is, is Dowling and Fadoon, right? Justin Dowling mm-hmm. for forward, Taylor Fadoon yep. is the first D. And I think Rick Bonus said that as much after the game as well. However, the, and the reason why you asked this as well is because Ty Delandria, who still has yet to make his NHL debut, in a meaning he hasn't played he, in a, a meaningful game. Yeah, it felt he, like one though. Like it, it, it was weird. Yes. It was weird. It was weird because like while that was an exhibition game, like preseason games, the other team isn't fielding a full NHL lineup. Like it's one of those where it's like right. it felt like his first NHL game, even though it wasn't well, he in a way. Didn't stand out in a negative way, and that's Correct. a really weird way of saying he looked good. But mm-hmm. I, after watching Delandria play in that, now granted, again he's still a teenager, but I don't have any concerns about him coming in and playing in a checking line role. Now I think actually he and Dowling combined quite well together, yeah. and almost had they had one of the better scoring chances where Delandria made a nice pass to set up Dowling in front. And, actually forced Pekka Rinne, the second goalie in, into a really good save uh, for Nashville. But I still think Dowling, gets, if, if there's only one guy out, I think Dowling is the guy. And he deserves it because of the way he's played this year. He's got great skill, and he looked great in camp. Um, on the flip side, if you told me, hey, they're going to make a choice and go with Delandria for this reason or that, and he's more physical probably, or, yeah. you know, this is the style of game they like, I wouldn't be worried about that after watching him play in that exhibition game. I might have been a, a hair concerned going into this, the playoffs had he not played in that. And that's really one of the benefits of being able to dress 13 and 7 for that game. Yeah. Because then now it's sort of taken that concern out of my equation. I, I think we all have said, Sean, before they left for the bubble, you know, we heard this a lot. Delandria is going to be an NHL player. Jason Robertson is going to be in the NHL. They're going to play a lot. Thomas Harley's going to play a lot. 
in the future. Maybe yeah. not this campaign. Now as we watch what Delandria did, and I think Robertson's in that in that same vein for this season, if they have to put him in, no concerns that he doesn't belong. No, no, especially with, uh, and I think Delandria, he can play that checking line role. He can play that middle six role. Um, I don't know if there's, I don't think there's enough. Then again, it's the Dallas Stars, and there's not enough polish throughout this offense. But I don't think there's enough polish. Like, I don't think you're plugging him in. I don't think you're plugging Tyler, Ty Delandry into Tyler Sagan's spot in the, on the lineup. Um, I, think if, I think if Tyler Sagan is out, I think there's a better chance. It's almost certain in my mind that Justin Dowling is in because they've trusted Justin Dowling to play with other skilled players before. So he can play that. Yeah. Thursday. Yeah, and he was taking. Yeah, and so Delandria to me is an interesting case where if Sagan is in and Cogliano is out, I could see Delandria getting that opportunity. Just say let's let's see what we can do in this award this role because um, you'll have Sagan back. You'll have Sagan on the power play. You won't you won't have uh, not that Dowling can't play that middle six that checking line role, but to me that's one of those where him and Dowling and Delandria can do both of those on the same level right now and so the tie goes to my mind goes to let's get the 18 let's get the 19 he might be 20 now depending on what day his birthday is let's get the let's get the the 20 year old kid who's a big part of our future into some meaningful game let's get him this first game because i do think the dallas stars are going to have to go 15 forwards eight defensemen deep in the playoffs i just think that's a natural likelihood with all of with how tight this schedule is that fits the average over the last 10 years or so yeah so let's let's so Delandria will I feel like Delandria will play at some point no matter what now. So let's get him in now so his first game isn't game 5 of a playoff or series against seven, yeah. yeah. So I th- I think Delandria has played himself to a point where he's gone from we kind of had a strong feeling he was 14 14 him or him 14 or 15 between him and Robertson and I think he proved he is 14 and maybe 13 depending on the role. So I, I thought I thought he was good. Um, I thought I think there's a really good future for him. I think he is. Jim Nill has used the comparison of Ty Delandria before he compared him to Mike Fisher, um, which is not a bad comp. I think you look at how his games played. He, I, I don't think it's a bad comparison. Um, I think I don't think he is a. I don't think he's going to be the elite playmaker. I don't think he's going to be the Tyler Sagan type. But he could be a very good second line center in the future. Um, that that creates some offense. That creates a little bit more offense. Um, like to me, he looks like he's a better offensive version of Radic Foxa. Um, now I'm not saying he's as good defensively as Foxa. We have to see where that goes. But I think offensively, you take kind of what Foxa has, and I think there's more offensive upside. And the longer we watch Delandria play, the more we can see why the Stars uh, scouting staff felt. Excuse me, so strongly in drafting him, which to many people felt like was a reach or off board at the time. And yet, the longer we see this, Sean, the more we see the type of player that they saw, and he's he's definitely not disappointing. Uh, couple, let's just do a couple other quick hits on this game. Um, yeah. Stars goaltending, they split this one. Bishop started, Hudobin finished it. They played about 30 minutes each, give or take a few seconds. And. To me, Sean, there's absolutely no concerns in the goaltending department. Yeah, Bishop didn't look great on that power play goal from Arvidsson, but 
the other goal was very fluky. It was uh, on a turnover by Andre Secura in the neutral zone that led to a two-on-one, and they still almost defended it and went off jo Stephen John skating in. Mm -hmm. But for me, considering that, again, this would be very different uh, from all of the players if the Stars were about to play game one of their first-round series or a qualifying play-in yeah. today or tomorrow, then I think the alarm bells would be really signing, you know, sounding off. The fact that they can, you know, go play three round robin games and lose all three and be fine, which we'll talk about in our next segment, um, is just that that's less concerning. I thought the goaltending looked fine, and I'm, as we expected, this is a strength of the team. They look ready. Yeah, I thought the ending, I, yeah, I thought the goaltending was exactly what you kind of expected. I thought there would be a little bit of a learning curve, getting used to traffic, getting used to things. The type of goals that went in, those are the type of goals I would have expected to go in. So, um, I, Hudobin was good when he came in. I thought Bishop found himself after some shaky kind of moments early dealing with traffic. But I, I think there's no concern about the goaltending. I don't think there's any concern about the defense. It's the type of defense that where... You, Sean, by the way, the fact that Bishop was held out for some maintenance, that he comes in and looks fine and yeah, to be business as usual. Yeah, I think that's fine because I think, I think Bishop is. I, I, I don't really have any concerns about Ben Bishop, especially with the round robin and three uh, a week before what ten days before they even play their first real playoff game. So I have no concerns with Ben Bishop. Anton Hudobin will be ready if he needs to be a one B. He will start a round robin game, I assume. I would guess maybe the Colorado game, but who knows? Might be the um, third one. Yeah, it might be the third one, but I just think the two and three days. I agree. With the, yep, no, it, it makes uh, sense, too, because if we don't know when game one of their first round series starts. We know that yeah. it's after August 10th. So if they play on the 9th and then they don't play again for three or four days, do they want Bishop to play that one to stay sharper? You know what I mean? Yeah. That might make sense. I mean, it, it might it, it might depend on how the other series shake out, like too. Right. Like it's one of those things where I could see hypothetical. I could I see Hudobin and Bishop splitting the first two round robin games. If it looks like if Dallas kind of gets a heads up of hey look, you're gonna start your playoff series August 11th, just hypothetically. Like if you're gonna start your playoff series August 11th, maybe August 9th you play Hudobin against St. Louis, just thinking we're going to start Bishop in two days anyway. So I could see something like that. Um, now I, I also I would imagine, mind, yeah yeah that's the other thing too. Um, the other thing we talked about the goaltending being fine. The other thing that came out of this game too is the defense and how the star structure looked. I thought it was fine. I thought it was like I thought they had their typical slow start. You don't like that, <laughs> but after the after the first 10, 15 minutes, was, I thought it was typical in the fact that they had a lot of slow starts, but it was really bad because it looked yeah. like they weren't even awake for the start of the game. Yeah. But after the first 10, 15 minutes, I thought the final 45 minutes of the game, they looked like the defense and the team that structurally, that's a structure that can go deep in the playoffs. It's I just mean, all the... Look at this. So yeah. just by my count, right, the Stars finished the game with a quality chance advantage of 22 to 17 against Nashville. They gave mm -hmm. up a power play goal and then a odd man rush goal that was fluky off a turnover of their own doing. So they really, yes, there were some grade A chances, but after, so the first period you have that flurry on the power play, even though Nashville was dominant early, other than the power play, they didn't really create much, right? It was Duchesne yeah. went to the net, Bishop got the save. Forsberg crashes the slot on the rebound. Bishop made a great save on that, but then he gets him 
can't recover, and Arvidsson scores from uh, the half wall. Then Granlin has that wraparound that Klingberg saves, because otherwise it's going in. Yeah. And there were some other chances for Nashville after that, but none that I thought were, like, super high danger. And after that, they had won the entire second period, which was that quick one-timer from Craig Smith on the power play. So five on five, even though they gave up some chances, as you're saying, in those first two periods, nothing. And the third period was pretty ho-hum, I thought. I thought it was more, you know, the Stars had a couple little things here and there, but no, but neither side really stood out in that final frame. This is the same that we've been talking about with Dallas for months, which is they can generate scoring chances. They just can't finish chances. Yeah, no, they can't. I mean, they... But you're right. I... So that's more of an emphasis of what your point is. That yeah. Defensively, they looked generally sound. They didn't look sharp yeah. as a team, but if you clean that up, they're in position to be very good defensively. And if you start... And if you start nitpicking the defenseman, which I'll do real quick, if you start to, if you start to nitpick the defenseman, the issue isn't as much in the defending, it's as much in the execution and some of the other things they want them to do to get the offense going. The the goal for the, the second Arvidsson goal, that comes on Andre Sekera trying to join the rush. Which I, I like that effort. I like him seeing a green light. I don't like him pushing the puck through the zone like a beer leaguer with one hand on his stick. Well, I don't, I don't like the fact that as he was coming up center of, of the ice in the neutral zone, he knows there's a player literally within a half a stride because he was basically yeah. that that was what you would call engaged right it's not a guy chasing you yeah. his stick is within reach so he's trying to hold him off and he gives it away and he, he and Secker is a veteran enough guy to know that you've got to be able to get rid of it when the guy's that close it's not like he had a stride or two cushion yeah. the guy was on him he should have moved the puck yeah and so but there, there's that i don't like um, Klingberg saved the wraparound, but it was a Klingberg turnover that led to the wraparound. So it was kind of one of those like giveth and taketh away. But that's when you start to nitpick the defense. Of I thought guys who how they how they joined the transition was where you start to it's like ah, I didn't like that or this or that. But overall, how they looked in the defensive zone was great. I mean, um, for example, I thought Jamie Alexiak was very good in that he game. Like I really good. I thought around. he. I thought he looked really good. I thought, as far as after Rope hints, I thought he was the Stars' best player in that game. How about the collision between Alexiak and Colin Blackwell behind the Stars' net? Yeah, that's... Uh, Hello, son. That was one of those where Colin Blackwell kind of... <laughs> that's one of those moments where you don't realize what you're signing up for until the collision, I think. <laughs> now, Blackwell's listed at about five foot nine. and uh, I think yeah. it's about 175. Or, no, sorry, about 190 pounds. He's not that tiny. But he's going up against a guy that's a, a man mountain. And Blackwell initiated the contact, but he lost that battle big time. And that's just simple physics. Alexiak is a large human. Yeah, he – and not only did the hitting, too. Like, the hitting was, was the highlight. But I thought he jumped into the play well. I thought he defended well. There was a couple times the power play was looking so poor that he actually got some power play time at the end of it. Um, so I thought he, he looked he good. Um, had a, a good shorthanded chance. Uh, yeah. I mean, think about this. They're, they're down a man in the, in the third period, and he skates up the left wing and unleashes a slap shot from the circle. Again, Pecorini makes a comfortable save. But to me, I, I agree with you. I thought Alexiak was definitely one of the better Stars defensemen on the day. Yeah. Um, I thought Hintz was really good. I thought he was, was that the he best was dangerous. Was him since the return to training camp? 
well, he was much better than I saw him in all of training camp. I was, thing, yeah. I, I was frankly worried based off his training camp of what he would look like coming back. I had, and I don't know, maybe, maybe Rope Hints is someone we should have labeled as a kind of more of an X factor with something like this because we saw how fast he started the season. Maybe this is his mo. Maybe we're learning this. Maybe he gets off to a fast start, start season wise. And and the other thing too that we noticed, I think, I just kind of watching a bunch of those exhibition games. Young guys with speed and skill seem to dominate a lot of these exhibition games. Um, like that's why I think Colorado may, early on may be a dangerous team to go three and zero in the round robin because it seemed you see fast guy, teams with skill where and health and health yes where you don't have to worry about where there's more cracks in the teams that typically have structure. Uh, the teams that that look for, that that basically are built off taking advantage of other teams' mistakes with their speed and skill, they seem to have more of an advantage um, in the exhibition game. I noticed. Now, we'll see how that looks as teams play are playing their second and third game. Um, but all of this leads back to one of the biggest points that I take away at all of this is what a luxury it is to finish fourth and not fifth. It's huge. What isn't a it? what a luxury because I mean you look at you look at just take. Dallas versus Edmonton, four versus five there. Dallas gets, gets. we could talk about, okay, you just have to worry about be ready for game one. Edmonton, on the other hand, obviously a very good team in their own right, but you have to worry about a Chicago team that looked really motivated against St. Louis. And the other thing, too, we talked all, everyone, the, the big storyline was, oh, everyone's scared of Carey Price. Carey Price is going to steal the playoffs from the Pittsburgh Penguins. What about Corey Crawford? Because he looked tremendous against he looked tremendous in that in that exhibition He's game. Need to and, stand on his head though. If Chicago has a chance against yeah. Edmonton, well, no, I know, but my my, my point being everything. The, the yeah. Corey Crawford. Yeah, but my point being, everyone's talking about Carey Price in that way. Is like Corey Crawford could steal that series. Yes. And and I think that's fair to say. All right. Yeah. Speaking of which, that's a great way to segue into our second segment of today's show, which means out with the exhibition games, in with the ones that actually count. Next. It's time to play the game. Time to play the game! Sean, that we're almost 20 episodes in. That's a long time since this thing started, which means it's been a long time since there's been a hockey game, and that means that we're about to get a new fix 
which is today, the beginning of the games that matter. The qualifying round opens today, and I believe that we should have a lot of fun. The is it Rangers Hurricanes, the first game uh, around 12:30 yeah. Eastern time. So by the time that most people are listening to the broadcast, we'll be about ready to start. Or if not, there's five games today. Everybody will be in action the next two days, and then the stars on Monday begin their round robin. Now I wanted to do this segment in two parts. Basically, uh, a quick look at the round robin series for both East and Western conferences, and then. Uh, also the qualifiers. Which would you like to do first? Because it doesn't matter whether we do round robin or, or, or qualifying games. Let's, let's, do, let's talk about the qualifiers first okay. because those games are actually happening today and they... Um, well, let's, let's do qualifiers okay. first. So we'll stick with the Eastern Conference since they begin ex uh, things today. Um, as we have the Hurricanes and the Rangers is the first game up. That'll be uh, coming up at one o'clock or sorry at 11 o'clock central 12 eastern uh and so in doing so they get it going sean just looking at where we're at i think uh, i'm going to say this about all the qualifiers it's going to be really hard to predict winners here because we just you know i don't think we know enough just from the sake of one exhibition game where these teams are at. And I thought that what Rick Bonus said the other day was very important. Throw everything out of the window of what you saw in the regular season because those 69, 70 games that teams played just have no bearing on where we're at right now. Yeah, it's it's a restart for everyone. I, I was listening to... Um, I was listening to the uh, full 60 with Craig Custance the other day with... Uh, where he and I was actually a guest on this episode where he, he brought all of the NHL beat reporters on for about a 10 minute segment so he had split it over two episodes and I was listening to Adam Vinian's uh, Adam spot Adam covers the Nashville Predators and Craig ended every segment every segment with each writer of saying hey um, give me one gut feeling you have about this team right um, and it could have been anything. Any, and Adams was interesting to me where he, he brought up, he said, he said, the Nashville Predators will go deeper in this playoff format than they would in a regular playoff format if the season hadn't stopped. And that was, that was, a, that was just an interesting thought where then it just kind of where you think about that and you think about kind of everything kind of gets thrown out, teams get to – Start fresh. Nashville's another team that gets a training camp with its head coach now. They got its training, and 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 on top of that, completely healthy. Um, you get to avoid some of the other, a lot of the other distractions just die away. Like the Stars' six-game losing streak is gone. I know fans remember it, but the players completely forgotten it. And um, so I, I think it's back up a little bit watching their performance. In the maybe, but yeah, um, and and but it's I think. There is really, I, I, we're going to see upsets. I definitely think we're going to see some upsets, and so it's so hard to predict yeah. it. Um, and in the exhibition games, there's some teams that it's hard to use the exhibition games as a judge too, because I felt like a exhibition game between Chicago and St. Louis, it felt to me like St. Louis didn't care in that game, and they and, had reason to take their time. Yeah, and while so while Chicago looked good, I don't know if that means anything for the Edmonton series. Um, I mean, the most important thing for Chicago was Corey Crawford looked healthy after he didn't take part in training camp. But 
I, it's so hard to predict all these, but I think there's interesting storylines and there's things to, to, to that are that are that are fun to discuss in each. Okay, so but let's do that instead. Yeah. Instead of yeah, naming let's... who we think is going to win, unless you feel obviously. Yeah, 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 yeah. Let's just go yeah. series by series real quickly. And okay. if there's one thing that you're you're watching or something that stands out. So you okay. mentioned Oilers Blackhawks. So I, I said we we're going to do East first. Let's do West first because yeah. you said Edmonton Chicago. It's the five twelve matchup, highest yeah. seed of the qualifying round versus the lowest seed. Um, it is intriguing because, you know, Patrick Kane, Jonathan Taves, uh, Dominic Kubalik, the young rookie, rookie I put in quotation marks because he's an older rookie, but has scored 30 goals. This team in Chicago, I don't think this is the best opponent the Oilers could have gotten. Now, that being said, the Oilers are a better team. I don't think the Oilers are one of the Stanley Cup contenders. Um, for as good as their offense is, their defense and goaltending is a little bit more of a question mark. But I do think, Sean, that early on their offense is so and their power play is so deadly that you mentioned Corey Crawford. He has to stand on his head and be vintage crow if the Blackhawks have any hopes of winning this series. Yeah, I mean this this series to me, like we talk about things to look at for each series, this series to me speaks of entertainment just because of how Chicago plays. Chicago is up and down. They let guys they let guys pass them. They're willing to they cheat out of the zone. They let other people cheat past them. Like in Edmonton with the speed that McDavid brings and, and, and how that offense is up and down. That series to me, I think Edmonton wins that series. I've no I've no issue predicting that, but I do think we're gonna see a lot of goals in that series because I think I don't think Edmonton's goaltending is 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 great. Um, Mike Smith actually has been an incredibly slow starter uh, just to start seasons too. Um, even and it could be it could be Koskinen. I don't know how he's going to look. Koskinen obviously we saw some great games against Dallas. So I think we're going to see a lot. Of, yeah. I think we're going to see a lot of goals in that series, and I also think we're going to quickly learn any resemblance of oh it's in Edmonton so there's home ice for the Oilers I don't think that exists I just think it's going to be a lot of goals I think it's going to be an exciting series to me that's the most exciting playing round from a uh, just kind of from a from a from a aesthetic example so you mentioned the Preds the 6-11 yeah. matchup is Nashville against the Arizona Coyotes they begin tomorrow at one o'clock central time what do you see I mean I liked where I, I I thought the Predators looked very good in the exhibition game for where they needed to be. Their power play was quick and crisp and dangerous. I thought the Stars uh, did limit them pretty well five on five. But between I mean, look, one of the things the Predators had a lot of trouble with in last year's playoffs against Dallas was their power play was awful. Um, and actually, both goaltenders looked pretty good. I still think UC Soros might be the guy for the Preds, but Sean, the big, uh, we've talked a lot about Colorado being a huge beneficiary of time off to get Renton and Atlantis Gog healthy. Columbus is in that boat because they haven't been healthy basically most of the season. And there's others all over these teams of, you know, Tarasenko getting back and et cetera, et cetera. Getting Darcy Kemper healthy could be one of the biggest things for this Arizona Coyotes team. Yeah, and Arizona is, uh... I thought Arizona looked just okay against Vegas, but obviously Kemper's been one of the best goalies in the NHL this season. I think Kemper maybe pushes Hellebuck for the Vezina if he was healthy the whole year. Possibly. Highly possible. Because I thought um, he looked really good early. It was his to lose yeah. at that point. Yeah. Um, I do think this series, to me, we talk about guys who could be 
breakout players and players that everyone, I think there's a, there's a name you and I know being in the Central Division and seeing him play. Um, but I think this could be the year, this could be the breakout where the rest of the hockey world, who maybe don't see Nashville, don't see the Central as no, enough, learn how good UC Saros is. And I, I think this could be the... This could be the breakout for UC Saros where he, everyone still thinks, oh, I think people who don't pay attention to Nashville still think about Pekka Rene and everything like that and, and know that he's, he's, he may be on this, on, he's on the backslide of his career. But they don't, I don't think people realize how easy, how, how great of a transition Nashville has going. And I think that's one of the things people are going to notice with UC Saros. I mean, Pekka Rene to UC Saros is like what the Stars had from Belfort to Turco. Like, I think this is... This could be the playoff that UC Saros cements himself as. You know what? He's the guy. He's not just he's not just the guy in Nashville. He's one of the better goalies. He's going to be one of the best goalies in the NHL for the next. And he's also one of the yeah. smallest, and he's exactly. so quick, and he yeah. hasn't given up a goal against to the Stars in two and a half games and, mm-hmm. and counting. And, all right, uh, yeah. the seven ten matchup. This to me, Sean, uh, along with the eight nine, uh, is really hard to to predict because. Yeah. I, I, it's the Vancouver Canucks at seven, Minnesota Wild at ten. I think Minnesota is one of the teams that was most hurt by the fact that they had a pause because they were playing some of their best hockey right before everything got shut down. And so, and when I look at this, I want to pick Minnesota. Um, I know Vancouver is a team on the rise. They've got a bunch of good young players that are really starting to grow. And they maybe could surprise us. The Markstrom had a pretty good year in goal for them. I'm feeling a 7-10 upset. Maybe that's too much of the March Madness basketball where I always pick the 10 seeds. But I just don't know if either one of these teams blow me away. I see whoever wins this series losing in the first round. I think that's fair. I think this series to me is kind of, it's an example. To me, this is this series is going to be kind of the litmus test of are old guys ready or younger guys ready first? I think that's kind of this, this litmus test of this series where Vancouver has so much young, fun talent to watch. And I'm ready. I'm excited to watch that in the playoffs. And Minnesota's obviously a bit of an older team. They do have some young guys, but obviously that core is still aging. And so I I look at that series where I'd like to see, just from a hockey highlights watching perspective as someone neutrally looking at it, I'd like to see Vancouver advance because I want to see Quinn Hughes. I want to see Elias Pettersson. I want to see that Vancouver team advance and I, i'm really fascinated to see kind of the growth there by the um, way quick side note congratulations to our long buddy jordy ben who yes he and his partner just had their first child a baby girl i think it was two days ago now i think it was the 30th of july yes. so yeah so i think it was on thursday we're recording on saturday we've known jordy since 2012 with the mm-hmm. texas stars right about the same time you and i first met and uh couldn't be a better guy so yes. congrats to those two. And I would imagine, Sean, that he might at some point now try to get into the bubble. I believe that's the plan. I believe the he has to, I think, I don't know the exact days, but I believe the, the thought was um, he would be available maybe for game three, well, I game, think. Game three is scheduled for August 6th. And as you heard Jim Nill talking about it last week when we were discussing rosters and why he's taking yeah. four goalies, 
the minimum to get into the bubble is you have to have four consecutive days of negative tests for coronavirus. Yep. And then obviously if you have some issues, you have to do as much as a 14 day quarantine. If he has to do that, this series is over before yeah. he gets in there. So if he can do four straight days, then it would probably be around game three. But of course, he's got to stay yeah. in shape and get up there. But, but anyway, yep. congrats to Jordy. And uh, let's go to the last matchup of the Western Conference qualifying rounds. Remember, folks, these games count towards the playoff stats, but these aren't actually the official playoff games. These are the play-in games. Yeah. Flames Jets. It's Sean, this is the 8-9. This is the second best thing to what we could get if we could get the Oilers and Flames being the Battle mm -hmm. of Alberta. Yeah. I, don't, I think that if we're excited about Edmonton and Chicago for all of the offense and speed and lack of structure, I'm excited about this one because I think this is going to be most of the vitriol and hatred that we'll see in this first best of five series. Certainly, yeah, I think so. I think in the Western Conference, I don't think you have anything more of a, a rivalry. We're going to see some playoff nastiness than this this one. Um, I, it's, we talk about people who could steal a series. Connor Hellebuck, with how he's played this year, he could steal the series. Um, um, I think there is a... It, it's interesting, too. Like We talk about coaches who, I look at this year and... We talk about coaches who have have won a lot of regular season games, but never won the whole thing. And I, it's obvious. And Paul Maurice comes to mind, obviously, as someone who, when you look at Paul Maurice, you forget how young he was when he started coaching in the NHL. So you forget that he's been around that long. He's been around but, forever. Yeah, this is. I mean, but this is a guy who. Um, this he 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 was the one who had an interesting statement in the early open the opening press conferences of who is uh, of no one will ever forget who wins the 2020 Stanley Cup and I look at the Winnipeg Jets and Paul Maurice and I wonder if this is the the year where maybe just with this format and with his goaltender if you get Patrick say you get Patrick Line hot you get them going again Maybe this is the year that Paul Maurice was Stanley Cup just as kind of a dark horse, if you were going to pick a dark horse. And that's what I look at in this series is, 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 is that thought for me, it's kind of a weird gut feeling in Winnipeg. Is that a thought that gets completely thrown out the door as soon as they play the first game? Maybe, but that's, that's just a thought. Yeah, I, I, could, I could very much see that happening. I think Hellebuck, as you mentioned, is definitely one of, if not the biggest X factors in that series. Um, all right, Eastern Conference now, 5-12, Penguins-Canadians. I'm sorry, Sean, I know that everybody's talking about Carey Price possibly stealing the series. The Penguins, this is their series to lose. I mean, yeah, I, everyone talks about Carey Price, but I, 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 this is the series to me that I was closest to, like when we did our predictions for the Athletic, this is the series to me that was closest to being a 3-0. Because I didn't pick any 3-0s because I just feel like there's too much chaos yes. with the coming back. But this was the one that I was closest to picking 3-0 Pittsburgh. Like, it's Pittsburgh is such a better team. The Montreal, I mean, Montreal having a debate over whether it's worth winning one round versus getting, uh, versus getting that lottery spot to get, the, to get a Quebec-born superstar again. Like, to me, this is a team where 
Montreal is the place where I think if they win this series, people will be a more angry because they missed out on a chance for Lafreniere. So. Well, and, and frankly, look, if they get knocked out of the qualifying round, the Canadians have a one in what, one in eight chance? Of yeah, one in eight. So that could work out. And frankly, there's a lot of people saying that the Canadians and the Blackhawks have no business being in the playoffs because of their standings in the regular season. So you're right. A lot of pressure on the Penguins to make everybody a little happier about, you know, a return to a semblance of normalcy. Uh, yeah. The first game of the day today, we talked about four Hurricanes and Rangers. Sean, this one's very hard to predict because I like the Hurricanes. I think they're a better team. But, boy, the Rangers have surprised everybody this season. Artemi Panarin is a heart trophy finalist. He's been excellent for them. Nobody thought going into the season that David Quinn and the Rangers were going to be anywhere near a contender for making a playoff spot. I don't think they're a contender to win the yeah. Cup, but... They're a much better team in the rebuild mode than everybody thought at this point. I have a I have a prediction for this series that I just I, it's just kind of one of those other gut feeling predictions for this series. I, I I'm picking the I picked the Rangers in this series and it's just one of those where I don't think I like Carolina I think Carolina is a better team for the future but if Dougie Hamilton doesn't play and getting him back would have been a, getting him back would be a huge advantage I don't know if he's going to play or not. Um, I look at the Rangers goaltending, and I think I, th I think Shesterkin's going to start today. Mm -hmm. Well, he, but, is, he was their number one guy going yeah, into the pause. But I, I think the Rangers are going to win this series, and I think Henrik Lundqvist is going to be the goalie in the closeout game. Ooh, I think. Interesting. I think. Georgia and Shesterkin, it's going to be yes. I think Lundqvist is going, I think you're going to see a type of series where I think David Quinn is going to use it as a, I think you can use having equal goaltenders pretty much. I think you can use it as a, when you lose, you get even more of a reset of, hey, we're bringing in this other guy. And it's not, a, it's not going to be against Chesterkin. They could lose three to two and you could be like, I, I don't really blame Chesterkin, but right. So I have a feeling you're going to see New York win in four or five, and in game four or five, Lundqvist is going to be the starter to close them out. Interesting. I like that idea. All right, uh, one that is the most – the next one is the 7-10 in the East. It's the Islanders against the Florida Panthers, and it is the most comparable matchup of the stars in the Eastern Conference is the New York Islanders in terms of style of play – Two, yes. two goaltenders. I, I still think the Stars goaltenders are better, but between Varlamov and um, Thomas Grice, they have two guys they can go to either one. That's similar to Bishop and Hudobin. Barry Trotz plays the 1-1-3. One, one, you did a big article on that earlier this week talking about how that works if you committed to it. Islanders and Stars are very similar teams. And the, the question to me is the Florida Panthers like to get up and get at it. Can Sergei Bobrovsky have a better playoff than he had a regular season in his first year in Florida? You think this is the best coaching matchup in the first round? Trotz versus Quenville, it's hard to argue yeah. as far as career numbers. And, and both guys are Stanley Cup winning coaches. Um, geez, it's a pretty exciting one. Yeah, like I, I think that's the one where I think it is more of a chess match between coaches that I think than anything. And this is one where, like, there are other matchups you look at, and I think I like the, coaching... I like the Mike Sullivan-Claude Julien uh, matchup, Penguins and Canadians. Yeah, but this, 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 but this one to me, I think, is more so of, you've got two teams that if they're going to go deep, they're going to be more of a sum of their parts than anything. 
and yes. to me, and to me, the like Mike Sullivan's Pittsburgh Penguins, great coach, but his his the Penguins really ride or die with Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin. There's not a player like that. There are some good players, but there's not really a superstar like that that's going to carry either of these teams. And and, you, and so well, I think I mean, this is. I think that's underrated a bit because I think Barzell is is every bit that that player. Oh, he is, and, and as we get told every. With the Panthers, I mean, they have a couple of guys that you know. Well, like. And well, Barkov is. Everyone says Barkov's the most underrated player in the that's NHL. That's what I'm saying. Here's a chance but for you, him to show it. Well, I mean. He's not the most underrated player in the NHL. You can't win most underrated player in the NHL three years in a row and be underrated still. So uh, I, I think you have – but I think the, both these teams are kind of more of – they're both complete. Right. They are more of a, of a, yeah. a balanced attack than, it, than one team or one line or one guy. So to me, this one comes a lot down. It's going to be fun to watch kind of the coaching between the two. So The last one in the qualifying rounds, which does start tomorrow night, is the Toronto Maple Leafs against the Columbus Blue Jackets. I've said it already. I think Columbus really one of the biggest beneficiaries of a pause because they've gotten so hurt during the course of the season that they didn't have a full lineup. The fact that they get Seth Jones back alone is a huge deal for them. And I love this matchup, Sean, because this is the, this is two di very different styles and two different very rosters uh, going head to head. Yeah, I, lo I love seeing. I, I love to see Columbus at full strength with their defense because I think Wierenski and Jones are one of the best pairings in the NHL and and will be for a long time. Um, I think the Columbus I think has a little bit of that swagger to. I think a lot of people are going to be picking Toronto in this series, and I think Columbus has a bit of that swagger after beating Tampa last year. I, I know that was I know that was 16 months ago or whatever it was, but it's still I think. There's kind of that built-in confidence for a team that, that did that. Uh, and then the other thing, just with Toronto, I think there's... I wonder, we talk about... I talked about no home ice advantage for Edmonton. I wonder if being in Toronto actually puts more pressure on the Maple Leafs. Like, I wonder if the Maple Leafs are a team that would have benefited more from being at a neutral site. Because while they are in a bubble and, and they're isolated, they're still in Toronto. They're still in a place where there's all the pressure. Toronto media yeah. covering this. And there's there's still the pressure. There's still the reminder that there's still the reminder that you haven't won a cup in forever. Like I I think that Toronto is one of the teams that would have benefited more from a neutral site, and maybe there's an additional being at home might be a disadvantage almost. Um, because for every other team, this is going to be weird, right? It's going to be weird playing without fans. Toronto not only is, but it, at least you're playing without fans somewhere else, and you can just kind of isolate the weirdness to one thing. Toronto, you're gonna going from playing in a space where you're going to have games where you're the a road team in a different locker room in your own in building. Your building. It's going to feel has to be it, odd, doesn't it? it's going to be feel even more awkward. So I think Toronto is one that there's just kind of so many little factors there, and I think I, I, I think Columbus. Has a Columbus, I think, has a chance to, to win this series. So, all right, finally, let's take a quick look at the round robin series for both Eastern yep. and Western conferences. Sean, the first game of either side's round robins is tomorrow afternoon. Bruins and Flyers, they were probably the two hottest teams that round. The Lightning were doing pretty well before the pause, and then the Washington Capitals is the fourth team. They're, they're all Bruins, Lightning, Caps, and Flyers, the one, two, three, four, as they stand right now. The question is, will that be the case? when they're done. Look, this, again, 
I don't know if, I mean, obviously there's a difference being first versus second, third, or fourth in the seeding, but I think it, all of these teams will consider, they will be trying to get themselves playing their best hockey for the first first round game, not for the first round robin game. Yeah, I think so. I think that's fair. And then like, you look on the western side, you have the Blues and Avalanche will play tomorrow, and then the Stars play the Golden Knights on Monday. Monday, yeah. And again, the Stars are playing with house money. We've talked about this before, right? So they're already the fourth seed. So if they lose all three games and they're the fourth seed, they haven't lost anything. After watching the exhibition no. game... I'd like to see them surprise a couple of teams and get some positive momentum going into the first round. But the most important thing, and you said this before, is to be playing well and to be relatively, if not completely healthy, going into that game. Yeah, and it's. I think that the same goes for fourth-place teams on both sides, where you can use this as... It, it, it's the ultimate win-win setup. Um, and now I don't know, that's the one thing where if you're the NHL and you're looking at how you created this format, that's maybe the one flaw where you have a round robin that rewards a fourth place team more. Like I, I still think there should have been maybe a built-in handicap point for the Blues or the, or the, the Bruins because it's so weird to me that the Bruins can be the President's Trophy winner and then be the fourth, <laughs> be the fourth seed when the playoff starts. So, uh, and by the way, it, they were the only team with a regular season point yeah, so ridiculous. like I, I feel like there should have been more of a reward for the Blues and the Bruins for their regular season, but that's that's I in agree. the past. But you know what? That that's in the past. It so. uh, should be some fun hockey, and obviously yeah. we'll be much more scrutinizing of the Stars' play in these games than we did in the exhibition. But even then, Sean, there's yeah. still that built-in excuse of these ones. Well, the stats count toward the playoff stats. The games don't have. I mean, it means something. It just doesn't mean everything. Yeah, it's the other thing that's going to be weird too is like how this gets looked at from a perspective of certain milestones, right? Like, like everyone, like I remember people have been like, "Well, Anton Hudobin's never started a playoff game. He's never started a playoff game. If he starts a round robin game, technically that'll be his first career NHL playoff start. Will that feel like a playoff game, really? Like, I, I don't like it's right. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's a I mean, it should feel like something, right? Yeah. All right, so that's a bit of our preview of what's going to happen today and tomorrow and, and going in through Monday as the games return to action for real now, um, at least to a point with the round robin game. Up next, something bizarre happened in the desert out in Arizona, and we have to discuss it. right it's time for a lightning round but we're going to combine it a little bit before we get to your lightning round questions something big happened in the nhl since our last show 
that Sean sent a shockwave around the, the league because it's something that you don't see happen very often. A team changed its general manager. Well, but they didn't want to. Here's what happened. John Chega, who at the time of his signing with the Arizona Coyotes was the youngest GM, I believe in league history, if not at the time. And yep. then he just signed a, a pretty lengthy extension with the new owner, Alex Marullo. And then the sort of bizarre things that came down over the last few weeks. And then we heard that Chega has quit. And so, Sean, let's back up just a little bit here. Um, there was a report prior to this call happening, I think it was a week or two ago, that there was a, an informal meeting or even a formal sit-down with um, the Coyotes' new president along with their, uh, I think maybe the owner's son, Alex Marullo Jr., who's part of the, off, the front office structure there, um, and not the general manager, with Taylor Hall, their mm -hmm. prize-free agent who they traded for and who's going to be a UFA this summer. And John Chaka wasn't involved. And that immediately set off alarm bells because you said, hey, what's going on? By the way, time out here for a second. I'm seeing, and I, I can't believe we're doing breaking news on a Quarcast. Igor Shesterton is unfit to play. Yep. Which means that starting the first game today against the Carolina Hurricanes, and Sean is smiling the I told you so already, <laughs> is the king himself, Henrik Lundqvist. What do you think about that? There we go. That's, uh, I didn't think it would happen in game one, but you know what? <laughs> if the Rangers win the series, <laughs> Lundqvist. The other bit of breaking news is that Christian Pulisic is in the starting 11 for Chelsea as they face... The big FA Cup final against Arsenal. It starts at uh, 11.30, I think, Central Time. So there you have it. Man, that, that FA Cup final got much more relaxing to me once uh, the final day of the Premier League season ended. Yeah. Because I, I did not want to deal with... Now I can watch it and not care who wins and just want to be entertained. In the past, I would have had to... Now, rooting for Arsenal or Chelsea would have been unfun. <laughs> But in the past, if, if results did not shake out the way they did on the final day of the Premier League season, I would have had to be rooting for Chelsea to win for Tottenham to get into the Europa League. So I did not want to have to watch the FA Cup final worrying about Europa League <laughs> implications. Now I can just enjoy it as a game. <laughs> That's nice to do. You don't have to worry about the ramifications behind it. Okay, let's get back to the, not the barrier story here, but yeah. uh, we, we, your former colleague, and I guess technically Craig Morgan is still one of your colleagues because he's still a member of the yeah. Professional Hockey Writers Association. He used to be at The Athletic. He was part of the layoffs, which is really sad because he's an excellent writer. But he still has his own pay site now that he put together to try to you know, make a go of it because he's, he's an excellent journalist for covering the Coyotes. Sean had a really interesting reporting of an NHL source that says that what the team statement was, which is he quit and we're really upset about it and we're not happy with how this all came down, isn't really the whole story. Yeah, it's, uh, it, it is interesting to see how this all shakes out. And it's one of those things where I'd love to, we've gotten more details that have come out, trickled out over the past couple days. 
but I would love to, it's one of those where at the end you'd love to kind of see it, be able to look at it all blow by blow. Where I mean, essentially this boils down to like, you hear, you hear a part of the story and you think, oh, maybe Chucky's in the wrong, or you hear maybe the coyotes are in the wrong. Because at one point when this first comes out, you hear, well, the, he wanted to talk to another team about a non-GM spot um, that would, in theory, be a higher position, right? That's a, a, a business opportunity. Yes. Um, and if that was the case, uh, I look back at, I side with, with the GM who's looking at other opportunities of, he's not looking at another GM job, he's not doing that. Um, it's kind of one of those weird things where I don't know who's right, who's wrong. Because um, on one hand, I always think back to what the STARS policy has always been. If an employee wants to interview for another job that would be a career advancement, they're not going to block them. Now, I don't know, obviously, being an NHL GM, you live by a different set of rules. So may, I, don't, I don't know how the STARS would approach it if Jim Nill wanted to interview for something like that. But it, it's, I don't know. I don't, I don't know who's wrong here. I also don't know who's right. <laughs> It's, they may both be wrong. Um, yeah. One of the things that's interesting is that the reporting has come out that it, it involved a team, because at first they said it was not another NHL GM job. Okay. So, because a lot of people started to look at Buffalo with being a team that needs a GM. They just got rid of Jason Botterill. So, what, you know, what, what would they do there? The other thing, Sean, is that, they, that then uh, we saw stuff from Elliot Freeman that said that it had to do with a, t uh, a company that owns teams in multiple sports. <laughs> well, that still fits Buffalo because the Pagoulas also own the Bills. So is that part of it? Or does it, somebody mentioned uh, New Jersey because they're part of a much bigger uh, conglomeration of teams. There seems, to be more there seems to be more smoke to the New Jersey uh one just as far as being um, his, he would be able to because the the group in, that owns the 76ers, they own the Devils, they own Crystal Palace, they own a couple minor league teams. They're making a bid to buy the New York Mets right now. Um, it's um, that group seems like um, a more like one that would be interested in someone kind of overseeing things. And B, actually hiring someone with a hockey mind because while the, the Sabres have come to mind, the Sabres have recently cleaned house. There's not as much of a... It doesn't seem to me like the Sabres are a team lining up to add positions right now. Maybe. I mean, I guess the one yeah. thought I had about Buffalo was they cleaned house. Maybe they bring the, their ideas they going after a guy like Cheka to, to set up a new house. Yeah. But that being said, we don't know. Like, I don't know anything other than what's being reported. It just, Sean, we, I felt the sort of obligatory need to say something about Cheka and the whole situation in our podcast because it is very rare that you see a what seemed was pretty strong marriage between the Coyotes, their ownership, the, the new owner, and their general manager, to the point that they signed an extension and felt like this, this was a long-term commitment to suddenly it completely fall apart. You rarely see GMs move until you know, a team says, hey, we're going to fire him because we don't like where we're going, we're going to yeah. make a change. That happens. Mm -hmm. Not like this. This, this seems messy. 
GMs rarely move on on by their own decision in general. Exactly. Like, like very rarely. Uh, and, and Jacob quits. So, um, and it's interesting too. Like, I don't think this will impact the Arizona. I don't think it'll impact Arizona and Minnesota on the ice in the series because it's either. not like. I don't think it'll have any impact there. It is an interesting subplot with the Taylor Hall free agency because I wonder if Taylor. I wonder what Taylor Hall would think about dealing with a new GM and, and things like that because the direction of this team yeah. is going. Because if he's going to sign a new contract as a free agent, even if it is, you know, during the the aftermath of this pandemic or the, yeah. during it, he's still going to sign for a long term deal. This isn't going to be a two year contract. No, and so like for a perfect kind of good comparison is Alexander Radulov or Joe Pavelski, they signed with Jim Mill knowing the person they're talking to is likely going to be the GM for at least a majority of their contract. Um, Taylor Hall may want to know what is the direction of this team, and I don't know if I could know that direction without a GM in, in place. So, Well, it's a bizarre scenario. We'll see what happens as this continues to unfold, both with the Coyotes, because uh, there's, you know, they've elevated Steve Sullivan, the former player, who mm -hmm. is their assistant general manager, into the interim role. Um, it could be that he gets the position and they're, they're happy with that, or it could be a placeholder for something else. All right, we mentioned the lightning round because we played the theme music. Let's actually get to it. We have a few. We didn't want to do uh, a huge lightning round because we only have a couple of questions this week, so let's get right to it. Brian Tatum uh, sent us two questions basically on the same topic, Sean, so let's get to that first. Uh, yeah. Yesterday, he sent a, uh, this following tweet. After seeing the political reaction to the players standing together during the anthem, I am horrified and embarrassed. As a season ticket holder, I brought a black friend to a few games last season, but she won't return because she didn't feel comfortable. Now I can see why. Thoughts? And then today, he added, to be more specific, Breitbart is now posting stories about the NHL. The NHL is now being used as an example in contrast to Black Lives Matter. This doesn't help our lack of diversity. So my first response, Sean, is that he said he brought a black friend to a few games last season and she won't return because she didn't feel comfortable. That is uh, concerning and raises a lot of questions because why? Why did not she not feel comfortable? I've, again, I can only speak to my own experiences, but I've only seen people feel very included and welcoming at games at American Airlines Center. Um, so why didn't she feel comfortable? I, I, and I'm not saying that she didn't, and I'm not trying to diffuse her feelings. I'm actually trying to say this is something that should be investigated to figure out why, because hockey is supposed to be for everyone. Why is that? Why is going to a Stars game uncomfortable? It's, it's supposed to be for everyone, but it's not. I mean, it's, it's very sad that there are people who don't feel welcome and marginalized by the sport. And so I don't know, not knowing what this individual's experiences are, I can't say what individual, what, what, what was the exact reason. Or, um, but in general, it is a sport that is very, it's a very, you and I are going to feel welcomed. We're white men. Yeah, We're going to I feel understand. welcomed either way. And so I don't. Um, Which is why I'm not saying that what Brian is saying is wrong. I, I'm saying she felt uncomfortable. And that makes me upset, not because... I don't have those experiences, yep. but because I don't want anybody that comes to a Stars game or any game to feel uncomfortable. It's supposed to be for the fans. You should go to the game and have a wonderful experience. And this is a conversation that we need to be having in general. It's not, it's not a great conversation for you and I to have because we're not talking to someone who 
went through and had that right now. But it is a conversation. But I, I think it is a conversation. This brings up an important point that this is a conversation the Dallas Stars need to have. The Dallas Stars need yeah. to talk to this fan. They need to talk to, they need to talk to people from minority groups that, that don't feel comfortable coming to their games. They need to find out why. They need to find out what they can do. I don't have the answers. Um, I think I, I have done some. Have had some conversations with uh, there's with I did, not with. Uh, fans of, uh, not, not bl black fans, but I did with, with fans from the LGBTQ, LGBTQ community in early July, where I talked to them quite a bit how, for reasons they didn't feel unwelcomed, and they expressed reasons and, and things that I would not have been able to, to talk about from my perspective. Um, Mark, so Lazarus, yeah, Mark Lazarus had a similar conversation with some black hockey fans um, from across the NHL, uh, I think in June, that is really insightful that I think people should look into just about how and why they don't feel welcomed at the sport. These are the conversations that the stars need to be having. Every team, not just Dallas, but every team. Yeah, 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 yeah yes. But I'm, yeah, this is a conversation every team needs to be having. And they need to be talking to those individuals and finding out why and what they can do. And, and, um, and also making it clear that we actually believe, like the stars put out a statement that Black Lives Matter and that, that, they, that they're standing with that. They need to then kind of put the action to it to see, okay, how can we help those people? How can we actually prove that we believe that statement? And so you've been, you've been kind of holding Tyler Sagan's feet to the fire, not in a negative way, but yeah. you've been asking him questions about, okay, so you marched, you know, in the protest in Dallas. Mm -hmm. you, you talked about this. You've made public statements. Now what? Yep. So to answer to answer Brian's question. Uh, the thing we we need first of all we need to see what happens today the league says the they're going part where he says more specifically about how this is yeah. becoming sort of a political thing and sort of giving uh you know sides are trying to politicize this uh as opposed to what i think the intention is which is to create inclusiveness well equality shouldn't be a political issue unfortunately it's become that in our country and so i that's the sad part um i I want to see what the NHL does today. I want to see what teams continue to do. Um, and I want to see how people react. And the just the fact of the matter, just to close out this question for Brian, is hockey is not for everyone right now. And it, it needs to it needs to grow in that, that realm. So, what was the uh, Nazem Kadri quote from the other day in the bubble? Kadri's quote was, and the issue was that Colorado Avalanche actually cut off, edited out his second part of his response. Kadri said, They've seen growth from players. They've, they've been happy with the growth and the conversations with players, but they'd like to see more from the league. And the Colorado Avalanche tweeted out that link, but they actually didn't put out that they actually had cut the in there. And then they later put out the whole thing. So I give them credit for coming back. But they kind of had to be cyberbullied into including the quote where the NHL was called out about it. So, well, the other part, so as you were saying, Sean, Brian, to, to just wrap this up. Let's wait and see what happens today. Is there any difference in terms of what the players do compared to what they did during the exhibition games? Or not? Yes. Before we make any rush to judges, because I understand where Brian's coming from. I don't like seeing it being politicized by the right or the left. Uh, I want it to be dealt with as a human issue, not as a political issue. But obviously, we live in the reality where that's kind of not separated. Um, and. But let's see. Maybe the NHL with real with games that count as opposed to exhibition games have more. I know, Sean. For example, we didn't really get crowd noise 
for the exhibition yeah. games. In fact, I don't think we had any of it. If, if there was, it was really faint. So I liked it without crowd noise. It was okay. Yeah. I, I actually, I am definitely pro crowd noise for TV watching purposes, but, um, but I got over it. So my question is, is that let's wait until these games are really happening and see if there's the same reaction, if there's something different, and then we'll pass our judgment. Yep. All right. Ardell wrote in, comment, if Cogliano is hurt, I vote for the FDC line. Dowling or Delandria? Question. Given the urgency, are the Stars married to Corey Perry every game if he isn't able to produce offensively? Um, he's going to play. I mean, the reason they signed Corey Perry was the thought of Jim Neal signed Corey Perry with the picture in his mind of Corey Perry scoring a big goal in a third period of a playoff game and his, his veteran presence being there for that. So, um, And contracts and why people are signed is is contracts make rosters, not camps. And so Corey Perry is going to play as long as he's healthy. Like, he's not coming out of the lineup. I mean, he'd have to be pretty poor. It is the playoffs, though. There's no worry about the salary cap right now. But you're right. He's a veteran guy. He's one of the more experienced playoff players on the Stars, along with Joe Pavelski. This is their time to shine. Let's see if they can do it. Now, it doesn't have to be in every shift of every game, Sean, but you're right. They're looking for those game-changing moments where a guy like Perry will be comfortable and not nervous and be able to maybe do something and make that difference. Um, the other party, we talked about Dowling and Delandria a lot. Yeah, we already so did. I'm just going to go out over his comment just because we spent a good chunk of time in our first segment talking about that. French Toast, our last question today as we wrap this up. Guys, let's talk positives for Dallas. Dickinson and Alexiak, both guys are actualizing their potential is time revealing a better draft grade for our guy, Jim Nill? Interesting question, Sean, because we've mentioned Alexiak, but we didn't mention Jason Dickinson, and I have been very, not pleasantly surprised. I've been pleased because I've, we've seen his development over the last few years. He's a very good role player for the Dallas Stars. He's a good role player, yeah. I mean, um, to answer the question about the draft grade, like Alexiak was really good the other day. Um, Alexiak is by, by Jim Nill. No, he wasn't drafted by Jim Nill, and Jim Nill traded him away, and then but traded back for. Back and give him credit for that. Yeah, but um, to me, if you're going to look at Jim Nill's draft grade, I think it's the type of thing where you look at the, the the class that could really save Jim Nill is the class of 2017, where you have Miro Heiskanen has already turned into this this tremendous player. Um, future Norris winner if he's able to get some more points in his career. Um, Jake Ottinger looks pretty good. Maybe your starting goalie of the future. And Jason Robertson in the second round. So the class of 2017 is looking really good. Yep. Um, Delandria looks like he's ready to go. Harley looks like he's ready to go. Like, I think look, the... Look, and Hints have come yeah. along better than a lot of people's initial reactions were. And so those... It, the test of time is when you, you make those judgments because... We've said this many times. Face value is very hard. Yes. So I, I, I think their drafting has been better than the reputation is. Um, it's not great, but it's right in the middle of the road. So. so that's it for us for today, Sean. I think it's time to check on your chicken one more time. Yes. And more importantly, go watch some hockey games. They're about to get going. So we got, what, f about 14 hours worth of hockey today? Yeah, it's a big day. It's a real big day. Well, thank you, everybody, for tuning in. We hope you have a wonderful first and 
in the coming days beyond that hockey experiences because you can actually watch games again that are real and I would imagine that it should really start to heat up starting this afternoon. Sean, any final thoughts as the trucks roll by your backyard? <laughs> no, uh, I just, uh, I do think it's going to be a fascinating conversation we have next Friday when we see what the stars look like after these two games. I think that's kind of my biggest takeaway right now is let's see what the Dallas stars look like after three games. Um, you can't hit a panic button yet, even after two games, because the playoffs won't have started yet But for Dallas. But I'm going to be fascinated to see what these two games look like on Monday and Wednesday. You'll want to see a little bit of growth and maybe some improvement from the exhibition game, that's for sure. All right, well, that's it for us. It's time to end. Welcome to August, and welcome back, hockey. Hockey.